Let's pray. <clears throat> Once again, our God, we come before You and thank You that You are the just and holy God. Nothing escapes Your all-seeing eye. Help us to be mindful of that as we live out our lives each day in Your presence. Realizing there, there is a day when we shall stand before You and give an account of the deeds done in the body whether they be good or bad. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Coming back to 1 John chapter 4, we left off with that part in verse 17 regarding the day of judgment. There's a lot that we are unable to explain or understand about the days that are coming. And yet we know it says that herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as He is, so are we in this world. This word boldness is the word that is often used for just uh, uh, assurance and frankness in our speech having confidence. Well, let's look at a few times. It's used 31 times in the New Testament, but look in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 32. I'll start in verse 31. And He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And He spake that saying openly. And Peter took Him and began to rebuke Him and so on. But the word is openly. In other words, Jesus spake of His death and His burial and His resurrection 
as clearly as it could be said. All right? Look in John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Verse 4, For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. There it is. And then dropping down into verse 13, Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. In other words, people were afraid to speak of Him in plain language. And they, would, they wouldn't just come right out and speak frankly regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. They wouldn't speak openly of Him. Verse, I mean, chapter 10 of John. John chapter 10, and verse 24. Then came the Jews round about and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. In other words, don't beat around the bush, don't speak in parables, just, just tell us plainly. Of course, verse 25, Jesus answered, I told you and you believe not. In other words, Christ had already been speaking to them as plainly as could be. It's like living in, in, the, in uh, our day to day. You tell people some things just plainly and they don't want to believe that. They want to make up something. They want to believe some... Uh, some off-the-wall stuff, like uh, a man can change himself into a woman, and a woman can change himself into a man. That just that doesn't even, doesn't even make good sense. That was John ten twenty-four, and there are other places where this place where this is translated confidence. But you get the picture. Herein is our love, John back in John first John four seventeen. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. That we can be before God, uninhibited, with confidence in the day of judgment. Now, like I said, I don't know exactly 
what's going to take place at the Day of Judgment. We're going to look at some verses of Scripture. Obvious, obviously, those who do not know God, everything that they have ever said, done, or thought, will be on public display. How much of that will be with the child of God? I don't know. Some think, and that may be, I don't know. Uh, according to some verses of Scripture, I don't think so. But some think that for the child of God, he'll just stand there uh, in the finished work of Christ and he won't have to answer for anything. I believe that there are Scriptures that teach otherwise. I believe that it may be possible that if someone has committed a sin in this life and has sought forgiveness for God by God in this life that he might be in better shape in the day of judgment. I don't know that I have this written down, but look at First Corinthians chapter five. This is why I say what I say. First Corinthians 5 is talking about the man that was sleeping with his father's wife or his stepmother. And Paul tells them to exclude this man. And the reason, one of the main reasons, there were several reasons for the congregation carrying out the discipline here, one was because the man was wrong. Secondly, the congregation of God demands a purification. And thirdly, uh, the desire is that the man would be brought to repentance. And fourthly, this congregation was puffed up about it. They were bragging about it. And so they were wrong. But regardless of it all, let's start in verse... Well, let's just begin at the first verse. 1 Corinthians 5, It is reported commonly... This wasn't something going on in secret. That there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. In other words, unbelievers not even live in this bed. And you're puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Excluded, in other words. 
There are congregations across this land where people are living in whoredom and they're not being disciplined by the congregations. They're still members. People living together, sleeping together. And nothing is being done about it. I know of a situation uh, of a congregation where a, a person that's a member there and uh, for at least, I think, I know of, I think at least two years, this person's been living with someone and the congregation's done nothing about it. Verse 3. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed, that in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit, in other words, when you've come together and you have the same attitude that I have about this, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, with the authority of Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now I said all that other for this right here. That the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now he's not talking about his salvation from sin or from hell. That's, in the, that's by the Christ. In other words, we're saved from hell uh, by the blood of Christ. But I believe he's saying that you discipline this man in hopes that he will repent so that he can stand before God in forgiven because he's repented of it in the day of judgment, in the day of Christ. So that's the reason I believe that uh, a person that like this man committed this sin, that he would repent, and therefore it would be better for him in the day of judgment. But there is a day of judgment. Now, we're not going to do a thorough study on judgment. But we do want to look at God's judgment to some degree. Any, here's a blanket principle, any judgment of saints in this life is under the form of chastisement. Let me say that again. Any judgment that God bestows on any of His children in this life is a form of chastisement. 1stly let's look in Hebrews chapter 12 I've put this one first 
because I did not want to be misunderstood when we look at some of the other verses. Now notice this. What's our premise? Any judgment on a child of God in this life after his regeneration is a form of chastisement. Let's begin at verse 5, Hebrews 12, 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation that speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint without rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not son, sons. In other words, every child of grace receives chastisement. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected, uh, corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not be much rather in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they, for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasure, that is, as they thought it was good for us, not because they just liked doing it. But He for our profit, that we might be partakers of His holiness. So God chastens us to be partakers of His holiness. But let's put this together with 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we'll see that this judgment that God bestowed on some at Corinth was chastisement. Now he's talking about the Lord's Supper. And he tells them that they should not partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily because if they do, they're guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That's in verse 27. And then he says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Recently, I heard of a situation where a man was in such a state that the congregation was, uh, the, the pastors reckon, uh, recommended that this man, because of his lifestyle, uh, examine himself, and they didn't think he should partake of the Lord's Supper. Well, if, they should, if that's right, then they should have exercised church discipline. But they didn't do that. But notice what it says here. Let a man examine himself and eat. It didn't say let him examine himself. And if he thinks he's not worthy, he shouldn't eat. First Corinthians 5 says, 
that when a person is excluded, he's kept from the Lord's Supper. I say all of that to show how mixed up our congregations are in the day in which we live because everybody's trying to be kind, don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, and give everybody the benefit of the doubt and just keep letting sin go on and on and on. Of course, some people think I'm too hard, but it's God's house, it's not mine. And God's given how it should be kept. But anyway, let's take up in verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. Now, there is a word for damnation, but there is a word for judgment, and this word actually should be judgment. In fact, some Bibles do have a center reference to it and points out that damnation, uh, they say, or judgment. And it really should be translated judgment. Remember the King James was uh, of the Church of England and at heart he was a Catholic. He wanted to try to get the Church of England back into the Catholic religion. And their religion is that if you partake of the Lord's Supper unworthy or unworthily, you go to hell. So that's the reason this is translated damnation. But it shouldn't be damnation. It should be just judgment. Uh, and I'm not, I, I didn't take the time to look up all the different Greek words and everything, uh, but, but that can be quite easily shown. Drinketh judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Now I could give you a whole lot of passages of Scripture to show you that this sleep is death. This sleep is death. When God raises us, from sleep, he raises us from the dead and, and so on. In other words, because some were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, others were off in a corner eating by themselves, and the congregation was divided in partaking of the Lord's Supper. You have to study the whole context of that to show what this is talking about. Some in the congregation of Corinth were weak. Some were sick. And some had been killed for partaking of the Lord's Supper unworthily. They didn't go to hell. They were judged. They weren't con condemned that if they were not condemned to hell how do I know that look at verse 32 but when we are judged 
we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned. There you go, condemned. That is condemned. That is condemned to hell with the world. Now what is our premise? Any judgment that a child of God receives while in this life, after his regeneration, is a form of chastisement. Is a form of chastisement. We need to keep that in mind. Even if God kills a man, You say, you mean God will kill a child of God? He may very well kill one to keep him from going into sin any further. You say, can you give me an example? No. I can only give you the Word of God. And you be careful that you don't unjustly judge someone that's God's business but it is a possibility and so there may be a child of grace that is so headlong in his sin that God just takes him out He may strike him down on the bed with some disease. He may be sick, as it says here, sickly. Or he may be weak for some reason. And I will tell you, earlier this year when I was laid up in rehab for two and a half months, I thought of these verses. What is it that God would have me to know and to learn? You say, well, uh, what did you do to cause it? I don't know. What What did you learn from it? I learned one thing, just to be still and keep your mouth shut and wait on God. You say, well, you didn't learn very much. No, I probably may have not learned as much as I ought to. Sometimes I wonder how just how hard-headed and slow learner I am, and I don't say that with any pride. I just say I don't know. I do believe this, that generally, if God is chastening a person for some reason or put them on the bed for some reason, uh, they'll probably know it. I remember uh, a situation, uh, this was over 50 years ago. This congregation was, uh, they were building a new building. And the pastor went around to uh, actually a widow woman, very wealthy. 
and asked uh, what she was going to give to the project. And she said she just couldn't afford to give anything. And he said, okay, sister. I think he said, if I remember the story correctly, he said he told her, well, God will get his. And just left it at that. Later on, this lady was in the hospital. I don't remember what the disease was, and I don't remember how long she was in there, and I don't remember. uh, That's all I remember. She was in the hospital. But while she was in the hospital, she called for the pastor to come and visit her, which he did. And she said, Preacher, you're right. God got his. Said if I had given to the pro, to, to the build to the helping of the defend the uh, defray the expenses of the building, I would have spent a whole lot less than I did by being in the hospital. Now she said that he didn't say it. In other words, she was convicted that she had done wrong, and I believe that generally. I can't say 100% because I don't know, but I think generally when God chastens an individual, they, the individual themselves will usually come to grips with it and God will make it known to them. You say, well, you don't know that. No, I don't know that. But by just studying and taking it all together, particularly with Hebrews 12, where it said God chastens every son, and He chastens every son that they might be partakers of His holiness. I just think God's strong enough and smart enough and powerful enough to uh, let His children know when He's uh, chastening them. Now, having said that, and there's much more that could be said about that, without question, there is a day of judgment. Looking at, first of all, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. very, well, the last two verses. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. Fear God. Keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. Now notice, every work, 
whether it's good or evil. Every secret thing, whether it's good or evil, God's going to bring it into judgment. God's going to bring it into judgment. Jump over to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Now I'm going to give you some of the context. We're going to read verse 15. But he sends out the twelve and tells them to go to all these different cities and, and preach to them. And then he says, verse 12, And when you come into an house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, notice, it shall be more tolerable for that land or for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah is a pretty horrible place. Wicked. But to reject the gospel is worse. We live in a woke society. We live in a uh, LD, what is LDQ, LDPQ, anyway, uh, society. The people that sit under the sound of the gospel Sunday after Sunday and do nothing about it are worse. Than sodomy. Or so it seems from these verses. In the day of judgment. Not submitting to the Lordship of Christ is no light thing. I've got another reference here. I don't know why right now. Let me turn to it. I don't think I really need to read it. No. All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 11.
beginning at verse 20. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee have been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Those are profound statements. But if there's anything that is quite clear in these verses, there is a day of judgment. A lot can be said about this. You say, well, why didn't God send it to those other places if they would have repented? Because He's sovereign. God doesn't want everybody saved. These verses prove that. Well, chapter 12 of Matthew. Beginning in verse 34. O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil, speak good things. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. But the thing about it is, you know what, beloved? We really don't give God's judgment much consideration. You say, why do you say that? Just think about how many idle words we speak. I didn't say you, I said we. I didn't say the world, I said we. Oh, well, it, that really doesn't mean what it says. Who said it didn't mean what it said? Jesus didn't say it didn't mean what it said. Jesus didn't say you misunderstood me.
Second Peter chapter two. Well, there's a lot of things to be covered in this chapter, but I'll force myself <laughs> to verse 9 instead of reading others. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. What does that refer to? God delivered Lot out of Sodom. Study the context. He had to grab him by the hand and pull him out. But he delivered Lot. And God told Abraham if there were ten people in Sodom that were righteous, he wouldn't destroy the city. Well, Lot was righteous how do we know that? Verse 7 calls him just Lot. Lot was not partaking of sodomy. Lot was a judge in Sodom. Lot didn't commit incest with his daughters. His daughters got him drunk and they committed incest with him. He was wrong for getting drunk. And he shouldn't have done that. And all the other wouldn't have happened. But it calls him just Lot. In other words, he was a righteous man. He was living a righteous life. And it says that Lot's soul was vexed with the evil that was going on in that city. Just like our souls are vexed with the ungodly that's going on around us. But God knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. God delivered Lot out of temptation. Like I said, sadly, God had to grab him by the hand and drag him out. And sometimes God drags us out. But notice what it says in the rest of this verse. And to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Beloved, regardless of all that you see that's going on around you and all of the wickedness and all of the unjust that's going on, they're going to get their due. They're going to get their due. You can rest assured they will get their due. And if there's anything for us to get, we will get our due.
Remember, 1 John says that we're to live in such a way that we'll have boldness in the day of judgment. We're going to be there too. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, or is it 1 Corinthians? I'd have, well, while I'm sidestepping on that issue, let's go to it. Uh, Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians five ten. Paul said to the congregation at Corinth, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We, not the wicked, not the ungodly, we that everyone may receive the thing done in the body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Sounds like Ecclesiastes 12, does it not? Whatever work that we've done, whether good or bad, whatever thought we've done, whether good or bad, Paul said we all must appear there. Some think that the righteous will appear there. Our sins will be exposed, but they'll say, well, you're all right. They're covered by the blood of Christ. Well, some way, they, I mean, they are covered by the blood of Christ. And we will be all right eventually in the end. But there's still an accountability of some sort. And I could give you other verses, but uh, well, First John that we read and we started with should indicate something. But anyway, Second Peter, uh, chapter three. Verse seven. But the heavens and the earth which are now. What's that talking about? That's talking about the same heaven that we have today. Second Peter 3, 7. But the heavens and the earth which are now By the same word are kept in store. You know the reason this world hasn't been destroyed? God's keeping it in store. The heavens and the earth. From Pluto all the way down. Of course, some say Pluto's a planet. Then some say Pluto's not a planet. Whatever Pluto is, 
And they say we're in the Milky Way galaxy and there are other galaxies out there. I don't care how many galaxies there are. I don't care how many billions and trillions and quadrillions, light years and all of that stuff. The heavens and the earth, the heavens and the earth, that's this globe on which we're living, which are now, are kept by the power of God. And reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Beloved, not only this earth, but all the planets, the stars, the asteroids, the whatever's that's out there, it's all going to burn up. All going to burn up. So how do you know? That's what it said. Oh, well, it doesn't really mean that. That happened in 70 A.D., some people say, when God destroyed Jerusalem. Hogwash. That's heresy as far as I'm concerned. I never will forget over 50 years ago we were building Camp Moriah. Uh, I was in charge of some surveying of the forms for the main building and uh, sewer lines to the septic tanks from the bathhouse and the bathhouses and because I, I had done, had learned some of that, and anyway, had the transit and the the uh, at where I was living. And one fall night, crisp night, the sky was just clear, and I saw a bright star out there. So I wonder if I can see that. So I got the transit out, you know, like a telescope, got it out and looked through that transit. Lo and behold, it wasn't a star. It was a planet. Jupiter. And I, I counted at least five, or but I don't know how many moons I did count for sure. That was around Jupiter. And I could see that, that planet, and some of those moons, and it was just moving across the field of that transit or telescope. I can still see it in my mind's eye. Astounding. I don't. I, I can just imagine what it would look like if I had a real one. <laughs> I mean, a real powerful one, and so on. You know what? It's going to burn up. You know why? There's a day of judgment coming. There's a day of judgment coming. I've got some more verses. We'll have to look, I'll pick those up next time, Lord willing.
But why, why am I emphasizing this? 1 John 4.17 tells us, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. You remember back in 1 John 2.28 it said, Now little children abide in Him that when He shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. What all is involved I may not be able to say, but I can tell you this. The Scriptures warn us and exhort us to live in such a way now that it might be better at the judgment. Do you really believe that? Think about it this week as we live out our lives. And think about what we're doing from time to time and say, what would the Lord think about me doing this? Thinking this at the day of judgment. You don't hear much preaching about this, do you? It should be. And beloved, I'm just as guilty as any. We don't take this as seriously as we ought. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive me for not taking as seriously as I ought the judgment that is to come. While I don't know a whole lot about it, and there's more questions than I can raise than I can answer, Forgive me for treating it so lightly and help me to take it more seriously. What I pray for myself, I pray for others that need it. It's real. In Jesus' name, Amen.